To uh, you, maybe right podcast. The uh, Yankees and Sox may be off right now, but uh, Paulie D and I, we are back at the QED in Astoria. Hey, doing what we do. Uh, Paulie D, uh, when you sent me uh, the notes for today's episode, you were quick to say the dog days are upon us. They really are. It's not the dog day. That's August. I mean, it feels like the dog days outside is what I, I mean. I mean, yeah, it's, it's really hot outside. I, I don't mind it because I love summer. I mean, I so do I, but it's it's pretty gross out if you're wearing too much clothing. Like you right now. I, I mean, am, you, got, you got the button down and a white t-shirt underneath? I know, I do. Oh, you're, how, how are you alive right now? Something's got to catch the sweat. That's it. Yeah. That's what you got to do. Um. So, how are you feeling about the... Uh, uh, State of the Yankees and the Red Sox right now. Uh, yeah. Well, before we get into the get into the meat, you know, I I wish the Red Sox were better. I really just wish the Red Sox bullpen was better. I mean, we've got a lot of blown saves on the season. I'll get into it later, but we've got an awful lot of blown saves on the season. And but despite that, they've played six thirty ball. Yeah. Since since April nineteenth, six thirty, and and there's and there's still nine games out. I'm telling you, and I've said it for weeks now. There's something special happening up in the Bronx, JP. There is something special happening up in the Bronx. But before we get to the uh, get to talking about the Bronx Bombers, we got to take a trip across the East River. No, not, don't make me. Don't no, make me. I'm we not, have to. I'm not doing it. I'm we not. have to, Paul. Oh, Paul, we I'm in have the boat. To. I'm in the boat now. I'm in. The, why am I in the boat? I'm in the boat now. I'm going across the river. You're going across the river because <laughs> we have to spend 15 minutes setting the timer talking about, oh, the Mets. Aye, aye, aye. I did not want to have to talk about the Mets because this is very much a Yankees and Red Sox podcast, aye, but aye, aye. the Mets have been in a free fall for a while. I, I remember they they had a rough game, in I think it was in San Diego last month, and Pete Alonso, God bless him, who's having an Aaron Judge-like year. Oh my God, the year that he the, the year that he's having that's being completely wasted. Yeah, and I remember they had a rough loss to the Padres, I believe it was. Oof. And of all, of all teams. And he came out and said, oh, uh, we got to be better. And Michael Kay ripped him a new one just because he was all like, why, why, are the, why is the rookie being the leader? This team is a mess. <laughs> and it's really a shame because... That was a very good impression. <laughs> uh, I like to think so. So it, through 80 games this year, Pete Alonso hitting... He's 24 years old, a Florida boy, 277, 27 home runs, 61 RBIs. This is ridiculous. Mind you, as we're recording this, ladies and gentlemen, it is June 27th. <laughs> Kicking at 60 home runs this year. Yeah, because according to his player profile on ESPN, he is on pace for 53. That's crazy. That, yeah. It, it's got to break every record for a rookie. Uh, No, Judge had, yeah, it would, it would break Judge's record by one. Wow. Yeah, because uh, McGuire had the record at 49. Judge uh, snapped it at 52. That's right. Judge snapped McGuire's record. Yeah, and without steroids. 27 home runs, and it's June 27th. Yeah, but the Mets have been in a complete free fall. They they haven't won a series in a very long time. How long, JP? It's been, I think, since the start of the season. I think it's actually. And and they haven't won a road series since the start of the season. Hasn't it been since 2002? No, they won a couple couple (laughs) road series at the start of the season, but... Things came to a head last uh, last weekend. They when, really did. Yeah, they were at Wrigley playing the Cubs. They're on the verge of a series split, which though not a win, it still kind of give, it kind of motivates the team because at hey, look, Wrigley, we, yeah, because the Cubs are a tough team. Right. No, that's what I'm saying. At Wrigley, you're you're you know you you stand a chance of getting a split. You want that game. You need that game. You know that could inject some life into your yeah. team, but it wasn't to be. Now, Pauly, you you gave a very good reason for why you do not watch the Mets unless unless you absolutely have to. I just don't. I mean, look, I don't watch the Mets ever at all if I can help it. Sometimes I can't help it, and sometimes I'm forced to watch the Mets like a clockwork orange droogie. But you know, I don't watch the Mets unless I lose a bet. But even then, JB, even then, I say to you, I will welch and still fail to watch the Mets. I just I just don't watch them. Yeah, um, my, see, it's a little harder for me because half my family is all Mets fans. Because, I mean, the reason why, and you hinted at the reason, the reason why is if I watch the Mets too much, the Mets are going to rub off on the Red Sox somehow, and I'm worried about that. I really am. I'm a superstitious man. So JB. am I. I'm a superstitious man, and if I, you know, look, if you, 
I mean, uh, good Lord. I mean, it, all I'm saying is the Mets are a really rough team right now, and even watching them is is a difficult exercise for anyone who hopes better things for their team. Yeah, and but let's go back to what happened in this game. They had a lead going in into the bottom of the eighth inning. Now, they there was, I believe there was one out in the eighth. I think so. And their complete... Um, Scotch tape, misfit analytics staff had said something earlier in the year that they don't want to give their closer Edwin Diaz, who had a, a monster year for the Mariners last season. They don't right. they don't want to put him in situations where he needs to get more than uh more than uh four outs. So so uh, let's put a pin in the Mets in analytics for now because I'd like to come back to that. But please continue. Yeah, and so pretty much the Mickey Callaway, the beleaguered manager, who I don't understand why he still has a job. Uh, keep Seth Lugo in the eighth inning, even though he was clearly tiring. Instead, of just going to going to Diaz. Javi Baez goes yard, puts the Cubs on top. Yep. There's a little bit of a blow up in the locker room after the fact because after one of those losses, nobody's in a good mood. No, nobody's happy. Yeah. And, and, but but you know, if you're a professional, you still have to deal with the media. Yeah. And and speaking of, uh, Callaway was very testy in his post game presser. Right. And then towards the end, Tim Healy from Newsday. Said to him as he was walking out, "See you tomorrow, Mickey." Nobody knows the tone. Yeah, nobody knows if it was sarcastic, if it was laughing, if he had a smile on his face. Nobody knows the tone. There's no video of the incident. There's nothing. Yeah, yeah. All we know is that he said to Mickey, "See you tomorrow." All we have is the text. Yeah, and apparently Callaway said, "Oh, like don't be a wise ass," and then it yeah. kind of escalated from there. Yeah, he said, "Get that mf'er out of here." Yeah. At which point, Jason Vargas apparently. Healy claims he only took a couple of steps toward him. Others say he charged toward him where he said... Yeah, I'll, others say I'll, he rushed him. Yeah, I'll say, I'll knock you the F out, bro, to the point where Carlos Gomez and Noah Syndergaard had to restrain him. How big is Healy versus how big is Vargas? I don't know how big Healy is because I honestly didn't know who he was until this incident. I'm assuming 5'10", 5'11". Sure. Because uh, Jason Vargas, um, on baseball reference, is listed as... Drum roll, six foot two fifteen. Yeah, so I'm assuming he was what five ten one eighty something around there. Let's go with that. Here, sure. Wait, is there a picture of him here? Let me let me Google a picture of him right now. So it, it doesn't look huge. Yeah. So Newsday. But, I mean, you wouldn't be. I mean, Joe isn't Joel Sherman a bigger guy? Uh, Joel Sherman's about average size. He's okay. a, like he's about because I'm I'm six one uh, two fifty on a good day. Uh, Joel Sherman, I'd say, is about maybe 5'9", five, 5'10", five, like at, at or around between a buck 80 and 200. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. All right. So Tim, Joel Sherman's now, now Tim, Now, Tim Healy is very young. Tim, looking at him, I can't... This guy has to be in his early 30s. Sure. Like, Or he's a very young-looking young, young 40. Sure. Now, he's been very professional. He told a side of the story to another guy at Newsday. Yeah. That's it. All right. But... Yeah, he wants to get past it. Yeah, but the point is... He needs a... Well, he needs a relationship with... I mean, look, to the extent that he's, that he's, you know, even if he moves on from covering the Mets to covering another team, he needs a relationship with those ballplayers. And, right. and they need to realize that he's gonna, not going to make a federal case out of yeah. every single locker yeah, room and, he, and he's been very professional. He, he's, people have asked for comment beyond what he said to one of his coworkers. He goes, read the article. That's all I have to say. Right. Absolutely. And Yeah, which is a great move on his part. I think so, too. But this incident... The Mets released a statement apologizing for it. <laughs> Jeff Wilpon called Healy and personally apologized to him. Class move. Yeah. And then um, both Callaway and Vargas, they met with uh, the GM Brody Van Wagenen, and they were fined. Right. Now, this kind of- How much? Do we know? We, we do not know how much. So we don't know. We don't know. And then the, and then Vargas, he gave a very half-assed apology afterward. Uh, he, he gave a non-apology, I would say. It was, it was a quarter-ass apology, as I like to say. I, I don't, I, in fact, I would go so far as to say it wasn't an apology, and it was one of those things you say with a smirk on your face when you think you got away with something. It, was, it, was, Th that's, it wasn't that's quite- where, That's where I'm at with it. Yeah. Because Vargas doesn't kind of know. I don't think Vargas knows the score. Yeah, and I feel that- from the perspective of, of Mets management, they're already in a bad situation, and to, and at this point, because you, you could fire Callaway, and I feel and, and at this point, because the Met, the Mets blew a lead against the Phillies today, they came back because um, they rallied against the Phillies closer in the ninth inning, then Diaz blew it again and gave up five runs in the bottom half. Right. So I think that 
at this point, I'm shocked if Callaway makes it to the All Star break, right? Because and then Mike Puma from the New York Post, he tweeted not long after the fact the Mets are just completely toxic. Nobody, nobody trusts each other, and that goes that's among front office, coaching staff, players. It's a it's a time bomb waiting to go off. It feels like nobody knows, and, and I mean, I think the. And, and not to bury the lead here, but what came out later after this whole incident was that I think uh, Brody, it's Brody, Brady, Brady, Brody, Brody, Brody Van Wagenen. Brody, Briny, is it Briny Van Wagenen? Who I cares? I mean, maybe, maybe if he's eating salt and vinegar chips. Right, right, right. Briny Van Wagenen, um, it might be, uh, the news came out that, or, or the, a report came out that uh, suggesting that, that Briny Van Wagenen is saltily, might I add. Um, calling the shots uh, from the GM's office during games. Are you making these Salt and Brian jokes because you're from New England? I might be. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and Connecticut born and bred. Yeah. Now, now that said, if if oh, the but, GM, go but ahead. Hang on, just to just to just to put it just to put no no uh, no, no no continue, continue just to, just to put a point on it. The the reason why I brought that up is that because okay, it's completely toxic. Nobody knows who's calling the shots. Right. Is it is it Briny? Is it is it Mickey Calloway? Is it is it? We Jason, can stop calling him Briny now. Is it is it Jason Vargas? Is it who is it? I don't know. Either way, now now that said, the idea of calls coming from upstairs—it's not the first time it's happened in baseball. If you read Billy Martin's autobiography, George Steinbrenner was notorious for calling down to the dugout saying, "Why didn't you bunt? Pinch at this guy!" Blah, 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 blah. He, gave, he gave Billy Martin a nervous breakdown, reportedly. Yeah, uh, <laughs> several times. Well, you know, he's he's sitting there. I mean, I think the famous story is that uh, is that, uh, that Billy Martin's uh, up against a wall, sobbing, hugging his knees, saying, "I'm a Yankee. I'm a Yankee. I'm a Yankee." I don't think I've heard that one. Yeah, that's a that's a that's 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 an apocryphal story that I've heard. I don't know the truth of it, but uh, I'll, have to, I'll have to double check. It's just one. it's just George Steinbrenner doing George Steinbrenner yeah. things and driving poor Billy crazy. But I hear that the Mets are like the front office is kind of making game decisions from upstairs. Right now, now, th- now this is still different because the Yankees are very analytics forward, and Bob yes. Clappish has said that they'll have guys in the tunnel saying, "Hey, play this matchup. The numbers say this works," and that if Aaron Boone is going to go against that, he'd better be right. Right, as Steinbrenner used to say all the time. Right. But it's different because the Mets, like we said earlier, they kind of have a ragtag analytics team that's put together with scotch tape. I think they, I think that department is maybe six guys, maybe even less. Right. We don't. So, so typical to the Mets, and I think, uh, I mean, this is almost beaten to death on the K show. But, but typical to the Mets, you know, they've kind of. They've kind of gone in halfway on the analytics, it seems, and, 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 and it's unclear how dedicated they are to it and how well they're actually doing it. So that's, I mean, that I think that's part of the problem, right? So they're trying to do it. Are they really doing it? Are they not doing it? Who's calling the shot? Is it Callaway? Is it is it Brody Van Wagen? Like, who is it? It's hard to say because... It's so easy to put the blame on Callaway, and it's right. clear he's entirely out of his element. If, I, if, I if, think so too. If I was if I was Brody Van Wagenen, I would have fired Callaway right after the reporter incident. You know, though, but I mean, he's he's doing. Uh, you know, you can argue that he's doing the best he can with a club that, quite frankly, isn't whole. Well, yet. yeah, because Callaway's only half the problem because like the Mets ownership, it's more inept than the Knicks at this point, right? And so, right. What's the con? If you look over the years, look over the years since '86. What's the constant? What's the what's always been there, and what's changed? Well, the only thing that's always been there, year in and year out, you know, decade after decade, is quite frankly the ownership. Yeah, the well, yeah, the well bonds. Now I understand that we can go down the route, go down the road of oh, they lost money with Bernie Madoff, so they haven't been able to put as much into the team. I don't buy that. Right. I feel that the Mets went all in on a pitching staff that was more injury prone than they expected. Sure. And it's blowing up in their faces. Yeah. And they went all in on a bullpen that quite frankly, I I don't I'm not sure the analytics guys know how to use. And I'm also not sure that the manager knows how to use. Which is a shame because before he was the Mets manager, Mickey Calloway was a phenomenal pitching coach in Cleveland. Right. So I think now now like I said. It's easy to blame Callaway, but at the same time, like the Mets, they're between a rock and a hard place because no matter what decision they make, do they fire Brody Van Wagen in mere months into his first season? Do they finally cut the cord on Mickey Callaway? Do they sell the team? They're between such a rock and a hard place that no matter what decision they make, the team is still going to be bad. They either have to make the decision that we're gonna make a run with the guys we got, and so we're gonna and so we're gonna be spendy. And you know we our our payroll might blow up here, or we got to tear it down again, and we have to rebuild. But they have to choose. 
I you, think that pick the, a. I'm, I'm sorry, pick a lane, yeah. one lane, one or the other. But you you gotta pick. Yeah, I mean, there, there's nothing worse than a team with no identity, right? Be, because the '86 Mets, for example. Not to bring up uh, a World Series where the Red Sox lost. Look, it but, happens. Yeah, but this is this that team. You had Keith Hernandez, you had Reyna, you had a bunch of guys who were kind of wild and crazy, but it was something they all bonded over to the point where Frank Cashin, who was their GM at the time, was so irritated by it that he blew up the team because right. he tried to he tried so hard to turn them into the old Orioles teams of the '60s and '70s, kind of like this this all American squad of good guys. Right. But these were a bunch of party animals and, and it they're works. In, and they're in New York. Yeah. And they're and you know, and those guys are gonna do what they do in New York. Right. Or or you're like the Yankees who currently they try to find not just good players, but good players who have a certain type of personality who they know is gonna mesh with a specific clubhouse culture they're trying to establish. Right. Now the Mets, they don't have that right now. No. Like, it's a, it's pretty much an island of misfit toys. Todd Frazier's there. He's not very good. They had Jose Reyes last year. Robinson Cano drew the ire of Howie Rose when oh. it, when in one game he didn't, in the ninth inning, he didn't run out of ground ball. And if you've lost Howie Rose, who's your main radio guy, then what are you doing? One does not lightly draw the ire of Howie Rose. Absolutely not. <laughs> and, and, He's and, an, I mean, the man's an institution. Yeah, and even Gary Cohen went on the air. He's their main TV announcer on SNY. He said that the whole reporter situation shouldn't have happened. He condemned the team for it. I've been told I look like Gary Cohen. Yeah, you do, kind of. I, yeah, thank you. Yeah. I, pre- I appreciate that because Gary Cohen is a and handsome I, fellow. And I've been told I look like Michael Kay, <laughs> oddly enough. I ha- Heck, I think we're doing right. We are doing right. I think we're doing well. That, that e- Either way, with, with the Mets, it's same crap, different day. And nobody trusts each other, and I have. I just hope that either Van Wagner or the Wilpons finally have a come to church moment and just figure out something to do, because the fan. Because I'm going to the Subway Series next week, and yeah, I'm happy that the Mets are probably going to lose. Knock on wood. Right. But one way or another, uh, something has to change. You know, and and the only other thing I'd like to say too is, and I'm knowing, uh, I'm noticing kind of across all sports a kind of a kind of oh. Did we? Yeah, did, yeah. But go, we go, hit go, it? go ahead, make your point. The only the only thing I'd like to say is that across all sports, I'm noticing a kind of distrust of the media, and I'd like to draw quickly the attention to the to the fact of um, what were average salaries in the '80s before ESPN, the leader, the worldwide leader in sports, and what did average salaries become after the worldwide leader in sports, you know, came into being? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like TV money changed everything. What I'm saying is simply this. The sport wouldn't be what it is today, and I hope players understand this, although I'm not sure how many players listen to the podcast, although I hope anybody who listens to the podcast can take up the mantle. The sport, these sports and these players wouldn't be making what they were making without the amplifier, the megaphone of the sports media trumpeting their sport to literally every corner of the United States. The media is the reason that these guys are making the money they're making. Yeah. And I think... Yes, there. Yes, I'm sure. After a bad loss, after a bad loss, it could be really annoying to talk to the media. But guess what? You know, look at the bright side and look at what they bring you. Just, just be nice. Can you do that? Can you be a professional about it? Can you be nice and can you vent later? That's all I'd say to. That, that's all I'd say to Callaway and Vargas. I just got a Twitter notification from uh, Matt Eholt, who is the Mets beat writer for Yahoo. Apparently, uh, Mets official and Jason Vargas, we're all angry with him. And Mets COO Jeff Wilpon said about Tim Healy of Newsday, I apologize, it's a workplace and everyone had the right to be safe. Tim's a nice kid doing his job. Right. So I think the fact that Jeff Wilpon, who isn't particularly vocal, unless he absolutely has to be. He is not. That he, that he has come out <laughs> twice in the last week to right. say something about this. Maybe this is the start of turnover in Flushing. And true, and you know, maybe it's the start of the the you know a, a little media blackout for Mr. Vargas. Maybe so. I mean, either way, I'm not a Mets fan by any means, but it's always kind of fun to see them at least try to to kind of like be a spoiler and all that. I'd love right, to see. Right, them, I'd yeah. love to. See, I would love to see the Mets compete. Yeah, but right now they're just sleepwalking through games. All right, shifting from one hurting team to another, uh, Paulie D setting another setting uh, ten. Uh, we're gonna give you twelve minutes on this one. Ay yeah 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 yeah. What's new in Fenwayland? You know, uh, it it's got to be a miracle. The Reds the Red Sox have blown sixteen saves so far this season. 
Uh, but they haven't lost every game. They bl- every game they've blown a save in. In fact, uh, at least one game they've blown two saves. Uh, and, uh, and somehow they're not 10 games under 500, which would tell you a bit about the quality of the team outside of the bullpen. So, I mean, I can't get too mad. I mean, since April 19th, as I said, they played 630 ball. Uh, but somehow we're still, you know, nine games back of the Yankees, and I chalk up those, you know, those 16 blown saves right to it. But the Red Sox problem is really this. Bottom line, they gave themselves, like Patriots teams in years past, mm-hmm. they gave themselves zero margin for error. Right. They, 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 it seems that they just kind of assume that their bats would carry them the way they did last year. Right. And the bullpen was just kind of an afterthought. Right. They, I think they looked at the bullpen, and, you know, I could be wrong, but I think that, you know, it feels like they, it feels like to, to a, you know, to an observer and to a fan and to somebody who watches each and every game, um, that they looked at the bullpen as something that complete was a viable and was a viable unit that could that could have them competing for a division lead sure. or for a league lead in wins as long as nothing went wrong and in the and in bullpen something always goes wrong people get injured you know i mean look in the last couple of weeks they lost they blown leads to minnesota in that 17 inning marathon that i watched every pitch um, they blew a six-run lead to Toronto, and they blew a uh, on Wednesday. They blew a one-run lead to the to the White Sox. The point is merely this: is that you know Heath Hembry, like who is Heath Hembry? But Heath Hembry was out of that bullpen. Yeah, you know he's been injured. With him in there, what, what know, what's his injury? Um, I, I you know I I think it's a, I think it's a strain. Okay, I, I th- we'll, we'll we'll look up into that right now. Um, but he, you know, but with him in the bullpen, what I'm saying is maybe they win the Toronto game and the White Sox game, but you can't run a bullpen where you need nothing to go wrong in order to be successful because guys are going to get injured from time to time. Guys need rest. You know, uh, you know, there's a lot of people arguing, at least in the Twitterati, that Matt Barnes might be overworked. Ryan Brazier was overworked early. You know, now they got Steven Wright back. Heath Hembree's coming back. So maybe the bullpen's complete. Who knows? I don't think the workload that they've had for some of these guys, for some of their go-to guys like Matt Barnes, I don't think it's sustainable over the long term. At, yeah. least, at least not if you want them for the playoffs. I mean, the, the point is you set up a unit that looks really great on paper and where everyone's talents kind of mesh and it looks great and it looks like a winner. But the problem is for it to work during the season, nothing can go wrong. And quite frankly, things have gone wrong. They've had, they've had you know, injuries in the bullpen. And even one guy down in that bullpen is a depth chart issue for the Red Sox. And... You know, they just they've proven that in some games, at least they just can't they just can't compensate for it. You know, and I'll say this. Their fifth starter ERA before Brian Johnson got back. And I know who is Brian Johnson. Well, you know, but their fifth starter before their fifth starter ERA before he came back and they tried a lot of guys in his place was 774. You can't, you can't, I mean, you got to score eight games, eight runs, eight runs every time your fifth starter comes out. You're not going to win those games. But I think, look, they have a fifth starter. They've got Johnson, they've got Wright, and they've got Ivaldi. If you're not going to get, if you're not going to, if they're not going to go out and get somebody on the market, which I believe that they should, I think they should, there's, look, there's deals to be had. There are plus arms to be had for the late innings right now. Yeah. Either via trade, uh, you could sign them, what, whatever you have to do. But there's plus arms to be had for discounts right now. So if you're not, but if you're, but if they're not going to do that, and Dombrowski says he's not, if they're not going to do that, either, either Stephen Wright, the knuckleballer, or Nathan Eovaldi, the hero of last year's World World Series, has to move to the closer's role. One of them's got to move over there because they need that. They need a closer. Yeah. The, the closer by committee isn't working. They've blown 16 saves. It's not working. They have to name somebody and stick with them. One of those guys, I think, should move to the closer's role because the other guys just for some reason or other can't handle it. But because there's and the reason they can't handle it is because of a hypothesis, my hypothesis that I've been nursing for a while that I haven't let go until really now, that the closer isn't just about reps and high leverage situations in that. And if you, if you do that, anybody can be a closer with enough reps. I don't think it's solely about that. It can't be. It's got to be about something analytics can't really quantify. Yeah, it, there's a. I think for a closer, there's a certain psychological makeup that these guys have that other guys, for some reason or other, 
just don't have. I think you're absolutely right in that regard. And I've said this a lot about current injured Yankee Dylan Batances, who's dealing with a shoulder problem right now right. after another setback. Um, if you look at Batances's career ERA in the seventh and eighth innings, I think I think his his seventh inning ERA is sub two. And his eighth inning ERA is in the twos, but his career ERA in the ninth inning, it's in the high threes. Right. Uh, which is why every time Batanzas gets called on to pitch the ninth, if Chapman can't go, I just start breathing into a paper bag. Right. Because, but, it's, because at that point, it's not about reps. Yeah. It's about there's something about this point in the game yeah. that he just can't get over. And I think that Avaldi would actually be perfect to move into the closure. Oh, role. my God. He's a straight Texas hoss. Well, yeah, because I, one thing I say a lot is that if Nolan Ryan came up today, he wouldn't be a starter because he was a guy who threw absolute cheese but also had an issue with walks. Right. So they'd stick him in the bullpen Absolutely. as a, as a case per nine guy. Right. And I think that you got Avaldi, who's, who, like Ryan, is a hard-throwing Texan. Oh, start him against the Yanks. That's yeah. see. So if I mean, you can have the best of both worlds if you have Evaldi, right? If you're if you're confident in using him, that he's not going to, you know, that if if you're confident that he's not going to be injured the rest of the way, and you you know, and you still want to use him as a Yankees killer, guess what? You don't use him in the three or four days before the Yankees series, and you start him then, and then he's not available in the bullpen, but for the rest of the year he's available. That's I mean, look, you got to mix mix and match here. I get that, but at the same time, Avaldi's had several elbow concerns as of now. He's had two Tommy John surgeries, so I think that given he can strike guys out, he's also prone to walks, which is typical of most closers. Right. I think that you can stick him in that role based on last year's World Series alone. Right. When he came out of the bullpen for what was it, five, six innings of shutout ball? Sure. Like that—that's the psychological makeup you're talking about right there. His cutter is so when it's on is so nasty. It's yeah. not Rivera nasty. No, it's not. No, but it's good. Rivera, it seemed like, I just want to, just a throwback to Mariano Rivera. I don't know, I don't know what it seemed like watching to you. It seemed like he was throwing a billiard ball up there sometimes. Yeah. Like that, that's how heavy it was. That's, you know, I would, I would be curious to look at the spin rates on the cutter and, and whatever else. And apparently he still got it because uh, the Yankees last weekend celebrated Old Timers Day. And Rivera was making his first ever appearance at the event, so he came on to pitch to his old old teammate Paul O'Neill. <laughs> so O'Neill's up at bat, and since he's a Yes broadcaster on the Yes Network, he um they had him mic'd up. So Rivera throws him a cutter and jams O'Neill, and then sure enough, O'Neill, you can hear him go ah like that, <laughs> and then he can hear him yell at Rivera, "I told you to throw a strike," and then he's kind of playfully pushing him, and then Rivera get this, he hits uh he made a catch playing the field in center field. And then hit an inside the park home run. Hey man, you, you know it's a glorified pickup game. Everybody has fun. It was wonderful. Old timers going to do what old timers going to do. But it. I think that Avaldi's a great choice for a closer just because he's got the rep- the pitching repertoire as it is. Stephen Wright is a good choice for a closer because how many knuckle wallers have ever been closers? Not very many. No. And the point and the point with Wright is that he can go multiple innings. The other night uh, or the other day in uh, in. At Fenway against Chicago, Stephen Wright came on to pitch the eighth for his first appearance of the season. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, because he had a, a PED suspension. Right. And so, and he's not going to be available for the playoffs. But he, you know, he had a man. He had a uh, he had a man on first and third. But cool as you please, you know, the guy induced a double play. Boom, got out of the inning. Right. That's the kind of non uh, implodability that the Red Sox have been dearly lacking in their bullpen. It seems like. If the if the slightest thing goes wrong for some of these guys, for the Brazier, for the Barnes, that they're mm-hmm. absolutely going to implode, that it's a self fulfilling prophecy, and and it doesn't have to be that way. I just think they need a little bit more help out there. I think they need a couple more dependable arms. I I'm glad that Wright's back, but I think I really do think you you put look. Who cares about Evaldi starting games? Stick, and I know they they didn't pay. For Eovaldi as a closer, because right. if, because if they thought he was going to be a closer, they wouldn't have paid what they're paying him. But use him for the year as the closer and make him a starter next year. It doesn't, yeah, because it doesn't matter. The, the Rays are in a free fall. Right. The the Red Sox are have been nipping at their here at their heels for a while. And the Red Sox look. The Red Sox have had a great couple of weeks the past weeks. You know they sweep Baltimore and and in their and in their bellwether series against the Minnesota Twins, the Red Sox held their own. They did. They can. They can compete with the best teams in the American League, and the Twins are among the best teams in the Speaking American League. Speaking of the League. Twins, they, uh, they and the Rays are now in the top of the 15th inning tied at two. They love, Twins love long games. Yeah, the, the Twins have really been a surprise just because they're a very young team, and sure. and they're 
Man, those kids can hit the ball. Yeah, the they're, they're not totally unchanged from last year's team that missed the playoffs because they, they added Nelson Cruz. Right. They um they traded I think um Eduardo Escobar to the Diamondbacks last year. So it, I think last year it was just a case of Molitor Paul Molitor lost the team. I think so. Now they got Rocco Baldelli managing them. Hey Rocco. Yeah, former New England product Rocco Baldelli. Absolutely. With the Red Sox for a hot minute. Um, I think that he's kind of. Uh, I'm glad he's got still, this I'm laid he, back approach. I do, and I'm glad he has a career in baseball. Yeah, just a pleasure to you know, just a pleasure to watch as a player. And there was nothing more, quite frankly, more heartbreaking than seeing him, you know, have a, uh, you know, seeing him with a mitochondrial disorder that uh, that keeps him from playing every day because he's just such a just such a fun. He was a, he was always a really fun player to watch play. So I'm glad you know I'm glad he's you know yeah I'm, gl- I'm glad he's where he's at. I mean, look. So the Red Sox hold their own with the Twins. They could hold their own with the best teams. The problem is you got to be able to protect your leads. They've had a bunch of leads. The offense is going to give you leads all year because that's what this offense does. They're going to be near the top of the league and run scored. They're going to be near the top of the league in a lot of offensive categories. If you can get one or two more plus arms or if, you know, maybe Stephen Wright's enough or maybe you need Evaldi. Yeah. Even just for this year, I you know, I think that could really turn the tide. Especially look, especially if it's something you you know, especially if you expect to compete for a title this year, because you can play your way out of title contention in the regular season. Yeah, and that's and that's I think what's gonna be the real story of the twins in the second half, because I'm looking at their schedule right now. A lot of their success has come against not very good teams because they in April they lost two or three to the Astros. And then uh, later in the month, they took three or four from the Astros, but the Astros also didn't have Jose Altuve at that point. They lost two or three to the Yankees. Um, and but yeah, but just looking at their schedule, it's a bunch of not, it's except for the Yankees and the Astros, and it's been a bunch of non-playoff teams. They lost two or three of the Indians earlier this month. Right. They they took three or four from the Rays uh, in Tampa, but that like I said, the Rays are in a free fall. And quite frankly, the Red Sox should have swept them. The Red Sox had leads three times in that game. And yeah. They, and, I, and I gotta tell you, if you hit, if you didn't watch, if you're a Sox fan and you didn't watch that 17-9 game, first of all, you're smart <laughs> because that game went till two in the morning. Yeah. But if you did, you know, if you did watch it, you remember that the Red Sox had ducks on the pond, and I'm talking ducks, men at third base, men at second base. If it felt like every, it wasn't every inning, but it felt like every inning and extras, and they just couldn't push the run home, you know. So, I mean, kudos to the Twins bullpen for coming out with the win, but uh, you know, it's the Red Sox should have swept you. All right, but moving on, let's let's keep with the Red Sox right now, and uh, specifically uh, the upcoming London series. Oh, tally ho, tally ho. <laughs> yeah, we got a little bit of rule Britannia here. Here we go. Yeah, this this version sucks. How's this one? Here we go. Absolutely. You got, you, you got your tea and crumpets ready, Paulie D? I, you know, I do. I, and I've got wait, the, wait. Why are you putting on the Buckingham Palace Guards uniform? I've got Pinky out. <laughs> anyway. Because uh, I'm 100% real Brit. Anyway, you... <laughs> this is the fun we have on the show, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> anyway, Yankees and the Sox, they've got today and tomorrow off. And then Saturday and Sunday, two games at... London Stadium, where uh, West Ham, the British Premier League soccer club, plays. Uh, I'm excited. I'm excited too. I um, the one of the reasons I'm excited before we get to the games is that it, this is such a great call for the for Major League Baseball, to isn't make. it? Oh, just it's like having it's like sending instead of who who would it, who is it the Titans and the Raiders over to London last yeah. year. If it was the NFL, it'd probably be the it'd probably be the Royals and the Orioles. Right. So it's like sending the Patriots and the Chiefs over last year. You know how good both those teams are playing and having that game in London. Yeah. Um, sending two long time. If you're looking to sell Major League Baseball, you're gonna send two longtime rivals with over a hundred years of history together, who've been in playoff battles, who've been in regular season battles, both baseball and physical. And you're gonna send them over, and you're gonna hope they hope that they play their best baseball, and hope that the games are exciting, that there's lots of home runs and lots of twists and turns, and that you know uh, one team comes out one day, another team comes out the other way. I mean, Major League Baseball has got to be hoping for a split, as am I. And, and not only that, <laughs> baseball people don't realize truly is a global game yeah, because it's it really big, is. it's huge in Japan. Korea, Taiwan, right. and just looking at the World Baseball Classic, you see all the, all the various Latin American teams. I remember there was the South African team, Australia, Italy was there one year, right? 
And also, not only that, how many New York and Boston expats actually live in London? I think, like, I, like maybe did a study abroad there in college, liked it so much, and then got a job there. I mean, in the financial sector alone. Yeah, you know? exactly. I mean, you're you're talking you're talking probably a cadre of Sox Yankees fans. Yeah. I mean, so it's so I I think it's fun for the residents of London who you know who follow Major League Baseball to see two quite frankly, and they are two of the best teams in baseball play there. Yeah. And. Both teams are, you know, are ascendant. You know, both teams are on the way up. It's not like the Red Sox are having a big, a bit, a bit of a down half the season, but the Yankees are playing like gangbusters. Yeah, and the Red Sox offense is still there. The Red Sox, Speaking of, Sox, like, look, Sox can hang ten on you in that stadium. Yeah. Oh my God, three hundred eighty-five feet to center field. Boom! Hey, they can I, hang. I'm, 10 expe- on you. I'm expecting a slugfest. I'm a, I'm expecting a slugfest, but I'm not expecting a home run derby. The reason why I'm not expecting a home run derby is because they know how to pitch guys with short fences, right? Yeah. What I'm expecting Yankees is, especially. Ex- absolutely. So what I'm expecting is I'm expecting a lot of home runs from unlikely sources. No way this guy's going to get it out of the park kind of home runs. Yeah. Ex- or excuse me home runs. Home runs from catchers who don't hit home runs a lot, like Christian Vasquez and Sandy Leon. I'm very curious about, <laughs> about this aspect, because uh, it's it's 385 to center field, which, right. which like, I'm, what, pretty, I'm pretty sure in the Korean League, that's the deepest center field they have. What does that what does that, that that make the left and right field dimensions at? What I, think, is, I think that's closer to, like, what the uh, what the Yankees have down the lines, like 318, 314. We're not in the, we're not in the twos down the lines. No, 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 okay. no, 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 no. We're, we're north of three on all sides. Um, but that's a sh- that's definitely a short center field. I'm very curious, though, was that by choice or necessity just because soccer stadiums are so awkward for baseball? I'm going to go ahead and assume it was by necessity, yeah. but, but probably a happy accident. They're saying, look, we're going to have high-scoring high games, and look, chicks dig, chicks dig the long ball. Yeah, so we got five minutes left on this topic before we got to talk to them about the Yankees proper, saving the best for last. Uh, <laughs> game one, Masahiro Tanaka versus Rick Porcello. I, now, on paper, oh. this is a great pitching match because both guys are very similar. They both throw a lot of two seamers right. like to keep the ball down right um now tanaka he's he doesn't you said he doesn't own the red Sox, but he he can really dial it back against them. next best thing as far as i'm concerned i mean i think tanaka always pitch the, pitches the red Sox pretty tough and porcel is going to have to be on in order to win this one like he was against minnesota where i think he went eight uh, eight innings and not seven. I'm, I'm, my, my my memory's blanking. I think he I'll went. Eight, I think he went eight innings against Minnesota. He just pitched a great game against the Twins. But the but the point is, Purcell is going to have to be on, especially to keep guys in the park. Yeah, you know, he doesn't. Quite frankly, he doesn't he doesn't throw all that hard. Yeah, because because if his two seamers flat, game over. That's it. Like, I mean, yeah, I mean, well, or or the call to the bullpen comes early, and we're going to yeah. see Stephen Wright versus Machu. No, last Tanaka. last time Porcello faced the Yankees, that was on June first. He went four in a five three loss, four and two thirds innings, nine hits, five earned runs, one walk, five strikeouts through ninety four pitches. Yeah, it's pretty rough. Yeah, but against the Twins, he threw seven innings of of shutout ball, four hits, seven. eight struck out, eight strikeouts. Right in the month of June, no, he, he was he was locked in against the Twins. It was it was really great to see. So yeah. I think I think for him to come out, he's got to be really locked in. Um, yeah, cause, against, cause... against the Yankees. Although I, quite frankly, I doubt he can be. I you know I'm not sure, quite frankly, that Porcello can beat the Yankees as presently constituted. Yeah, I mean because. On the season, he uh, not on the season. This month, he's one in three with a four seven five ERA, uh, with losses to the Blue Jays, the Rays, and the Yankees. You know, and that's good for the Blue Jays and their three fifty ball club. Yeah. Um, well, the Blue Jays are. I, I, you and I were talking about this earlier because the Yankees just swept the Blue Jays uh, yesterday. The Blue Jays, yeah, they're they're a three fifty ball club. They've only won twenty nine games in the year and lost like at or around fifty. But right. they're a team that makes you work for the win. They're frisky. They're, within, they're a very good fastball hitting team. They're frisky within the division, and they've yes. got a good young lineup. That you know, I could see the Blue Jays lineup in the years to come being something that you don't want to face. Well, the yeah, because the Blue Jays, even when they were a playoff team with you know Jose Bautista and Edwin Encarnacion, right? Um, they were a team they you knew they could mash. Yeah. The problem is they tied up all of their money in the bats and and uh, didn't have anything in pitching. 
I mean, look, the only pitcher I look to on the Blue Jays. It was right the same problem the Orioles had around the same time. The only pitcher I look to on the Blue Jays right now is Marcus Stroman, and they look to be trading him away. Yeah, well, we'll get to him in a second. Um, but going back to the London series, I, I think the point, the, my point for Game One only is that I think Game One's an uphill battle for the Sox. I think they're going to have a tougher time winning Game One than than Game Two. Yeah. Now, Game Two, I think, is the Yankees to lose because Erod has been very up and down all year. Absolutely. Because uh, the because you uh, you didn't know who the Yankees are having. That's going to be a bullpen day for them. So they're going to use Green as the opener and then probably hand it off to Nestor Cortez. Right. So, I mean, in bullpenning days, as you know, anything can really happen. Yeah. And and Aaron Boone has made it very clear that he did, that the bullpen situation with the opener is temporary because the Yankees have been doing it very much out of necessity. Absolutely. Because first they did it when CeCe was down. Like Joe Torre did in yeah. 1996, quite frankly. he had. I mean, I remember him in that in that season. Uh, he had a couple of bullpen days. He's like, well, we're just going to have to have to let the bullpen pitch this one. Yeah. Um, either way, because th- this game to me is a toss-up. Um, yeah. Because in order for – because keep in mind, we, we all know what Chad Green does. He's got velocity, and he's gotten a lot better with his slider this year. I think that with the Mets. And we all know what can happen to Chad Green. Yes, which is why I think— I um, mean, you can, you can hang some yeah, serious— I'm, I'm sorry. I said Mets when I meant Red Sox. You can, I, you can yeah. hang some serious runs on Chad Green. Right. You just have to jump on the slider and, right. and, and, hope, that it's not, and hope that it's flat. Um, but I think that what the Red Sox should do, they should save their bullets for Cortez, and here's why. Because Cortez is a lot like Porcello. He doesn't have a lot of velocity. I think his fastball tops out around 91. He can dial it up to 93 if he needs to. But he's a big soft contact guy. He has a, he has a great spin rate on that two-seamer. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of got like, it's it's not quite a sidearm lineup, but it's somewhere between, I have to rewatch footage, but it looks something between a sidearm and the three-quarter delivery. Um, so he, this guy has literally just picked off the, sca- off the scrap heap and he's been doing great as um, the innings eater following the opener. Right. So I think if the Red Sox watched a lot of tape on him, saved their bullets for him, especially in this small of a ballpark, I think that's the key to a series split. I think the Red Sox are a learning machine, and yeah. uh, and I think I, I mean we saw we saw it all last year, and, and we we have seen it to a certain extent. <laughs> we have seen it to a certain extent this year. The lineup visibly learning in front of you as they as they see a pitcher two times as they see him three times you know you see the average tick up so i think you're right uh i think if they if they've digested a lot of tape i think they could jump all over him uh but that said i think for the red sox to win either one of these games and i hate to say it but it's got to be it's got to be a gaudy number they've got to put up eight they've got to put up nine because yeah. again because against that yankee lineup the red sox bullpen cannot without a great starter performance cannot hold the lead yeah uh, I'm inclined to agree. And I think you also have to be aggressive with the strike zone. Don't be afraid to pound the zone. Absolutely. Uh, moving on. So we got 10 minutes left in the show. Let's talk about the Bronx Bombers at long last. Oh, it's annoying to me that the Yankees keep winning. I think it's they, glorious. But yet, but yet they do. I mean, what's their record right now, James? Their record right now? That's a, that's a very good question. So I'm looking at the standings right now. The Yankees are 52-28 and 28 on the year. They're... Um, what are they on pace for? 104 wins. I don't know about pacing, but I'm gonna pu- I'm gonna pull up their team page right now because right now it's June 27th. They had 52 wins. Yeah. Yeah. Last season, uh, once as I pull up the schedule, uh, how long did it take them to get to 52 wins? Let's find out. So they got to their 52nd win last season by uh, looking at looking at that win number 52 came. Around the same time, June twenty sixth. So on on June twenty sixth. Yeah, because the, after a six zip win over over the Phillies, they were fifty two and twenty five. Because the Sox couldn't shake them all that year until August. The Sox didn't shake them. Yeah, and I, I was. I mean, I mean, we spoke last year at length, you know, about it. But the Red Sox, I mean, the Red Sox were ahead of them barely for for much of the summer. Yeah, uh, and it wasn't really till August that that uh, it was like that that four game sweep. It was that four game sweep. Yeah, that did when it. we pretty much laid down and died. Where Frances? Well, you didn't have Judge. Yeah, you know in the lineup. Well, we, we didn't have Judge for for two months this year. No, but you met the you ran into the Red Sox without Judge, and for some reason the Red Sox had the killer instinct that year. You know that year. Yeah. And, and in that series, but man, they, I I have to tell you, the, the, what's happening in the Bronx is, I'm not going to say it's out of a storybook, but you've got guys. Out of nowhere, that are contributing major hits, and yet, innings, whatever. And yet the what team, and yet the team can still be better. Uh, uh, James Paxton has pretty much been. 
I don't want to say he's been A.J. Burnett because he's got much better control than A.J. Burnett, or he should, even though he's having a problem with walks right now. Is James, is James Paxton a bust yet? No, not at all. Because <laughs> because there have been they, he's had games this year where he's pitched very well. The problem is he's a fastball-dominant pitcher. Against the Red Sox, he's had him. Yeah. Uh, the problem is he's a fastball-dominant pitcher who's had issues with walks before. And yesterday, he gave up five runs in, in less than two innings to right. the Blue Jays. Now, granted, the Yankees came back and won. Which like I don't hold, and so I'm not going to hold the game against Paxton. But at the same time, he's been so inconsistent. I'm starting to wonder because his knee isn't fully 100 percent because he's pitching with a brace. Maybe he's getting used to that. Right. But at the same time, I feel that going on the aisle with the knee when I would have just because what I personally would have done, I would have skipped his turn on the rotation once and seen what happened. Right. Um, we'll talk injuries more in a second. But I think that he's still trying to get his legs under him, and he will. I have confidence that he will because he's too good of a pitcher not to. No, he's. I mean, he's 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 a prodigious talent. Yeah, and every pitcher goes through a rough stretch every season. Can we agree on that? I, no, absolutely. I mean, look at Chris Sale. I yeah. mean, look no further than Chris Sale to talk about rough stretches. Yeah. So I think that Paxton, because he's got a sports psychologist, so you know he's talking about about it with him or her. What do you mean he's got a sports psychologist? Oh, he sees a sports psychologist regularly. Okay. Yeah, you that's good. You, you didn't know that. I did not know that. Yeah, no. He like because after the start in Houston, where it was, where it was rumored he was tipping his pitches, um, people were worried that he was going to uh, crumble in his next start against the Red Sox, and he was like, "No, I talked to my sports psychologist about it. I'm over it." Comes out and throws eight innings. Absolutely, and it shut up, shut us right right the heck down. Yeah, I, I think I just want to I just want to say one sec. I, I just want to say one second that that I love that James Paxton is. Uh, is so open about seeing a psychologist. Is Me so too. is so open about saying, you know what? Yeah, sometimes I need somebody to talk to. Yeah. Um, I think I think athletes can only benefit from addressing mental health issues. Right. And I'm proud of James Paxton. And you know, he's a Yankee. I'm still in his corner because he's Big Maple. And yeah. I want to see him do well, not only because he's on my fantasy team. <laughs> <laughs> I, I set out fantasy this year. Um, but anyway, the Yankees, they're, they're, they haven't been shy about the fact that they're uh, looking to add another arm. Uh, there was talk about Madison Bumgarner, though apparently the uh, Cashman and the analytics teams are a little are a little soft on him because of his up is uh, going up in hard contact. Right. Um, but other guys who they do like, they like Marcus Stroman, who we'll get to in a minute. Max Scherzer, who if the Yankees can find a way to get him for minimal cost, I'll be very happy. Right. Matthew Boyd, who I want no part of at all. Who's not going to like Max Scherzer? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, and this is and this isn't a knock against Bumgarner because apparently the Twins are interested in him too. Uh, I get he can pitch, but. The fact that he's pretty much abandoned his curveball this year, sure, and in favor of throwing his fastball more in a short porch stadium like Yankee Stadium, because he's in San Francisco right now. He's got an ERA in the in the low to mid fours, right. And the it, the fact that he's doing that in a pitcher's park, his hard contact has gone progressively up. Does it, do you, do you think though it could be that 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 Bumgarner just doesn't care anymore? I don't know if it's just that he doesn't care. That I he's mean, just out there to log some innings and get the heck out of the game. I mean, the team's abysmal. Yeah, and, and I'm sure that's part of it. I'm sure he could use a change of scenery. But just based on the metrics, I have grand reservations about adding about adding Bumgarner. And I think it was the Daily News or the Post who reported last month that the Yankees were kind of lukewarm on him. Right. But Stroman, uh, the Red Sox were on the receiving end of a near gem from him. You were texting me complaining about uh, Stroman doing uh, his best job at Chamberlain impression. I sports hate Marcus Stroman. I I, I I sports hate him. I don't hate him as a person. I, I, I don't even know him. But I you know. But it's that kind of thing that when he when when he's playing your team, you're like, oh god, this guy. We're, we're gonna lose. We're gonna lose because he lives rent free in the Red Sox heads. He does, and he has since since his first appearance against the Sox uh, this season. To be quite frank, I'm just for some added context, ladies and gentlemen, on the year, Marcus Stroman, he in 17 starts, he's five and nine, 3.04 ERA against two. Uh, th- that's on the season, right? Yeah, but uh, but you want to know who he's pitched against? No, okay. no. What I'm what I I would like is I would like his stats against the Red Sox. We can get those. All right. So Marcus my, Stroman. My point is my point is merely this: Marcus Stroman not only lives rent free in the Red Sox heads, and the reason he does that, I mean, look, it's every shimmy shake, it's every shout into the dugout after every single strikeout. He's you know he's kind of got our number. I'm not going to say Marcus Stroman's our daddy, but you know he's. 
uh, he's at least an uncle at this point. Marcus Stroman in his career against the Red Sox. I'm I'm coming up on that number right now. Uh, those are yeah against the Red Sox in 14 starts, six and three, 3.44 ERA. Those are good numbers. Uh, 1.33 WHIP. So he he is prone to give up hits and some walks. Right, but you know that's that's probably a little bit earlier in his career. This year he's been he's been really really. If you if you if you saw his 2019 splits, I think you'd be even more impressed. I think the Yankees are stupid if they don't get Marcus Stroman, and here's why: because Marcus Stroman benefits grows bigger when the lights are brighter and it, you could you could it shines through the television and it sounds like he wants to come to New York too because he's from Long Island he's he, a Stony Brook guy he wants the big stadium he wants the big stage he wants the bright lights you could tell it, it like as i said it shines right through the tv he wants it and i hope he gets it because i want to see him on the biggest stage and we only got a couple minutes left so we got time real quick to debut a new feature of you may be right podcast <laughs> this is the hot take time cue the music oh hit it Because I have a hot take to deliver real quick before we wrap up about Giancarlo Stanton, who... Hit us, JB. Because, I'm sorry, the guy tears his bicep, then strains his shoulder, then strains a calf, comes back, golfs a home run into the into the bar in left center field, and all of a sudden, he's back on the IL with a sprained knee. Now, Lindsay Adler from The Athletic, who, if you don't know who she is, she's brilliant. Wonderful writer. Yeah. She has said about... Uh, this was Boone on... Uh, on Stanton's knee, uh, let me let me find the tweet. Um, he he was like, oh, like the MRI showed no new injury. His knee's a little swollen and stiff. Like it's probably not going to be an IL stint. Sure enough, right after the game, he goes in the aisle with a sprained knee. And my hot take is, I'm not sure that the Yankees are putting Stanton on the IL as so much that Stanton is putting himself on the IL because. Starting with the bicep and then with the strain in his shoulder, he was being very cagey about just what caused the strain, how serious a strain it was. Right. And so if I'm – were I the Yankees, I would have said to him, you know what, take the London series off, stay back, just rest and recover, see how you're feeling when we get back. But And if it's still a problem then, then you can go in the IL retroactively to the date. So the plan now is he, they're going to rest him for 10 days and reevaluate him. They're say, and Cashman said today he's probably not back until August of all times. So it's a lost season. Why? I don't know, but I'm very fr- – now, I, I can't get too frustrated because despite his injury, the team has been performing very well. And you got Encarnacion. We got uh, – walk the parrot. Yeah, we got Encarnacion. Is and we that got- why you got Encarnacion, though? Did, did somebody know, JB? JB, did somebody know? Did somebody know that this might be I'll a lost to, season for Stanton? I'll have to check uh, what the Yankees Twitter out. Do you have to say? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's a little convenient. It's a little convenient. I, that, I get that. That they get a mashing DH. Yeah. Right when they're mashing DH is or ready to. Or left field or whatever or you want to call who them. Who cares? Is, is ready to come back. Might. It's. I'm going to. Look, I'm going to say it nicely. Might Giancarlo Stanton benefit from Paxton's sports psychologist? I am going to say a hard yes to that. Absolutely. I think you should talk to somebody. I think you should talk to him. And I think that the Yankees need to sit down with him and say, what's really going on with these injuries? Can you, like, do you feel. 100%. Do you feel that you can't play or is there something else going on? 100%. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for you. May be right today, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, man. I know. I know. Special thanks to Elite Sports New York, the voice, the pulse of. New York City sports. Uh, Paul D, this was a great episode. Had a lot of fun doing this. Yeah, me too. Thanks to the QED and Astoria. Always have a great time uh, recording here. You can find me on Twitter at Josh B E S N Y, where you can see my ugly mug giving reactions to the Yankees. Um, and Paul D, you could they could find you where at Paul D says because uh, he's got some opinions, ladies and gentlemen. Absolutely. Uh, we're gonna try and get into an episode in next week, despite the holiday, just because I'm going on vacation July 6th and I'm gonna be gone for two weeks. Uh, either way, uh, but Paul D, you know what they say. What's that, JB? You may be wrong, but for all I know, you may be right. Enjoy the game, folks. <laughs>